I attended a Christian college where a chapel was not only highly recommended, but it was required. Uh, when you would arrive at chapel each day at 10 a.m. at the Dixon Ministry Center, you would uh, have your little uh, school ID that would be scanned and they would know when you were there and when you were not there. So uh, every day, Monday through Friday, uh, roughly 3,000 students would make their way to the Dixon Ministry Center for chapel. We'd hear a word, we'd uh, worship together, sing songs, and then we'd go back to our classes. If you've uh, ever been to Cedarville before, and I'm sure, I'm sure most all of you have, can't imagine why you wouldn't go to the cornfields of Ohio to visit Cedarville. A couple of you have. Uh, there, there was a, a bridge that was over this man-made pond that would lead to the rather large Dixon Ministry Center. And you can imagine with roughly 3,000 students all going to the same place each day, uh, there was a bit of a bottleneck that would happen when you got to the bridge, like things would slow down a little bit for you. Uh, most of the time you could navigate your way through, except uh, for one particular day, for whatever reason, as I was making my way to the Dixon Ministry Center for Chapel, uh, it seemed like traffic had come to a standstill. I don't know what it was, but I'd shuffle uh, my feet just one in front of the other, and it seemed like it was taking me forever uh, to get there. As I approached the bridge, I realized why. Uh, someone had had this great idea of parking a vehicle um, on the bridge horizontally. Right? And so there was a foot or two to the left and a foot or two to the right, and the whole student body was going to walk across this bridge and had to scoot to the left or to the right. When I saw that, I thought to myself, brilliant. <laughs> like, I don't know who dreamed that up, but that's pretty funny. Not that I approve of taking property that doesn't belong to you and relocating it uh, to interesting places. I'm not saying that, but I thought to myself, uh, whoever dreamed this up had a great idea. Uh, but not only did they have a great idea, they had a great plan uh, to execute their great idea. Uh, a number of students sat one day in the dorm rooms and thought to themselves, you know what we should do? We should take so-and-so's car keys and park it on the bridge and turn it around so people can't pass. And by golly, that's exactly what they did. Uh, we can have great ideas, but if we don't have a plan and execution, our great ideas are, are just dreams, they're hallucinations. Uh, they're ideas that we dream up in our minds, but we never pursue. I thought about that, believe it or not, a couple of weeks ago as I shared with you uh, the vision uh, for Christ Point Church. We said we want to be a people who point people to Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. We looked at John chapter 3, the story of John the Baptist, how it was his call upon his life simply to point people to Christ. He told people, there is someone coming after me uh, whose sandals I can't untie. Uh, there is someone who I want to draw your attention to. I want you to see Jesus. And so our, our longing for a church, our vision, our purpose is to point people to Him. Uh, but if we don't have a plan in place to flesh out uh, what that looks like, then that's just simply a good idea. 
There is an old ancient proverb that reads, a vision without a plan is just a dream. A plan without vision is drudgery. But a vision with a plan can change the world. Right? So as a church body, we, we not only want to have a vision for the future, but we want to have a plan that we pursue as a church body in hopes of accomplishing what we believe that God has called us to. So over the course of the next four weeks, I want to share with you uh, four core objectives in how we as a church body point people to Jesus. Uh, the first way that we point people to Jesus is by uh, encountering the transforming power of the Word of God. Encountering the transforming power of the Word of God. This is one of the ways that we point people to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I define a word or an idea, it helps for me uh, to think about what something is not um, before we define what it is. And so I want to share with you uh, what we don't mean by that, and then we'll talk about what we do mean. Uh, by that. So when we talk about encountering the transforming power of the Word of God, we are not simply talking about um, us becoming uh, Bible smart. Right? We, we, we don't just want to be a people who are heady about the Word of God. Um, our, our main goal or objective is, is not simply that God would uh, produce a, a bunch of theologians who are smart in their heads, but whose hearts are far from God. Uh, this is a great danger. It happened during the times of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said to the religious leaders of the day in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And so Jesus is saying to the religious leaders of the day, those who knew the Word, who could navigate their way through the Old Testament Scriptures, He says, you, you think by knowing the Scriptures you have life, but it's the Scriptures that point to Me. Um, Jesus was uh, the Word. And so as a church body, when we, when we talk about um, encountering the transforming power of the Word of God, we don't simply want to produce people who score well on Bible trivial pursuit. Right? Perhaps you've met someone in your life who knows the Word, who can navigate around the Word, who could maybe even teach the Word, who could explain the Word, who could dissect the Word, but who has not been changed by the Word. Uh, we want to be a people who love the Word of God so the Word of God can change us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't only want to be hearers of the Word, but we want to be doers of the Word. Uh, one time I heard Francis Chan, an author and pastor, give a, a message about uh, being doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word. And he used this great illustration. He talked about the game Simon Says. You guys have played Simon Says before, right? Simon Says, touch your nose. Everyone touches their nose. Simon Says, touch your shoulders. Everyone touches their shoulders. When Simon says something, we do it. But he argued when Jesus says something, we just study it. And so he said it would be like telling his daughter, Rachel, I want you to go clean your room. 
And for her to go, thank you, Dad. That's a great idea. Um, I know what you asked me to do. You asked me to go clean my room. Um, I can even say it in the Greek. As a matter of fact, I'm going to call some of my friends together and we're going to study what it would look like if I were to actually clean my room. And how crazy is that? How foolish is that? And yet oftentimes we can come to the Word and, and we can look at the Word and we can hold up the Word and we can dissect the Word, but we don't want to do the Word. And so when we talk about being a people who encounter the transforming power of, of the Word of God, we want to be a people who, who, yes, know the Word. God's revealed Himself to us through His Son, and, and these words are His words. And so we want to know the Word, and we want to love the Word, but we want to know the Word and love the Word because it points us to the Word, points us to Jesus. And so we want to be a people who encounter the transforming power of the Word of God. And so if, if that's what it doesn't mean, if it doesn't mean simply getting Bible smart, uh, then what does it mean to encounter the transforming power of the Word of God? The word encounter means to come uh, face to face uh, with someone or something, to come face to face. Think about that image for a moment. Coming face to face with the Word. There was a story of a hiker out west who was hiking one day and he turned a corner while he was hiking and he came face to face with a grizzly bear. As you can imagine, his heart began to race. He didn't have a weapon on him. He didn't have bear spray. And so he did the only thing that he knew how to do. He looked to the heavens and prayed. He said, Lord, I pray that this bear is a Christian bear. As he looked up, he saw that the bear was charging him. This large grizzly bear was coming after him, but before it attacked him, uh, the grizzly bear stopped and stood up on its hind legs and uh, looked his snout to the heavens and said, Dear Lord, thank you for this food that I'm about to eat. Right? You can imagine what it would be like to encounter a grizzly bear. You can imagine what it would be like to come face to face with something that is strong and powerful and mighty and majestic. You can imagine what it would be like to stand face to face with an animal like that. Well, imagine for a moment what it would be like to encounter, to come face to face with the living Word of God. Right? There, there should be something about this book that stirs within us a certain humility and a certain sense of awe, the sense that we are, are before something that is bigger than we are. We are standing before something that is majestic, like we are standing before the God of the universe because the Word points to Jesus. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27 reads, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning about himself. And so Jesus is coming alongside humanity saying, this book that you read, this book that you study, hey, this book is about me. Right? They're not just fun little moral stories. Uh, they, they point to me. And so it's our desire as a church to encounter 
the transforming power of the Word of God because we want people to come face to face with Jesus. Because this book is about Jesus. We point people to Jesus as a church by encountering the transforming power of the Word of God. Um, God is a, a God who changes people. He changes people. He transforms us. This is uh, the work of sanctification. Sanctification is a lifelong process of being changed into the image of Jesus. It's lifelong. It doesn't happen overnight. But God, God's working in us, and God does that a number of different ways. Um, God initiates the work in us. He changes us. He brings godly voices into our life to speak truth into our hearts. He, he allows us to experience things in life that we didn't expect or that we didn't want, and He uses those experiences to mold and shape us, to strip away things that don't belong and replace it with things that are good. God uses the decisions that we make, that you make, and that I make on a daily basis to form and to shape us. And one of the ways that God changes His people uh, is through His Word. Right? When we come uh, to this book, this living and active book, the, the words on these pages speak into our hearts and into our lives. Sometimes this book, sometimes God's Word comforts us. Right? Have you ever been comforted by the Word of God before? Has there ever been a time in your life when you feel like you are at the end of your rope, when you don't have answers, when you find yourself in a bit of a pickle or a predicament? where you lament the brokenness of the world, where you're facing something that uh, you can't solve on your own and you don't know where to go. And you go to the Word and, and God gives you something to encourage you or, or challenge you or to speak life into you. Last Wednesday, I received a phone call from uh, a friend of mine. He was a, a coach uh, of mine a few years ago. I've, I've traveled uh, with him to various areas, uh, Colombia and in Honduras, and he's just become a good friend over uh, the years. He's about 60 years old. He's a pastor down in Florida. And uh, come to find out on, on Tuesday, uh, he was in Atlanta for some leadership training. And, um, and he called his wife, and he said, uh, Chris, uh, I, I don't know where I am, and I don't know what I'm doing. His speech is slurred. And she, she says to him, hand the phone to someone. Hand the phone to someone next to you. I think he was at the airport at the time. So she hops on the phone. They call 911. He's rushed to the hospital. He had, a, he had a mild stroke in Atlanta. He couldn't fly back home. He couldn't drive back home. Uh, they, they told him that roughly one out of three people who experience what he experienced have a major stroke within 24 to 48 hours um, after what he experienced. Right, come to find out his wife's uh, mother or father had the same thing happen uh, to them. They had the minor stroke, they had a major stroke 24 hours later, and then they went to be home with the Lord. Right, so, you, so you imagine what it's like right, to be a wife who gets that call. Right, you, you imagine the moment where you're calling your wife and you're going, I don't know where I am and I don't know what I'm doing. Right, so, so like, what do you do then? Like, where do you go? Like, you don't, you don't care about, like, if there's a freshman starting for the Florida Gators. 
But that means nothing. That means nothing. Right? So where do you go? He told me the story. I thought of Psalm 40, or Isaiah 41, uh, verse 10. It says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Right? So there's, there's moments in life where stuff like that happens and like we don't have easy answers and we can't fix it. And so we go to the Word because we're looking to cling to something. And the Word of God is living and active and so it speaks to us in our heartache. There's other times where the Word doesn't just comfort us, but it confronts us. It convicts us. Has there ever been a time in your life when, when you've been wrestling with sin or struggling with sin and you're, you're trying to figure out how to navigate your way through it without telling anyone or without saying anything? And then you read the Word and the Word starts speaking to your situation. Right? And it convicts you and it challenges you. I, I thought this week, First John uh, chapter 1 Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I tell you what, man, if, if, you're, if you're like overcome with guilt and you're walking around carrying gobs of shame and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do, you come to the Word and you go, God, God's faithful. God's faithful. Like when you come clean, God goes, man, I'm, Jesus covers that. Like he's caught that. The word comforts us. The word uh, convicts us at times. Um, the word challenges us. Have you ever been challenged by the word before? Have you ever come to the word and go, holy smokes. Like you're just kind of like, I just kind of want to like navigate through life unscathed. I'm kind of hoping that no one really notices me or no one really messes with me or bothers with me. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation and you're just, you're just challenged by the Word of God. It's a few weeks ago, I was just having a, a challenging week and I was opened up the Word to, to James 1-2. I have a love-hate relationship with James 1-2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, uh, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so God speaks to me in that moment. Has that ever happened to you before? Have you ever opened up the Word and been challenged by something you have read? Less. Uh, Wednesday, I, I took one of our missionaries that we support in Honduras to the Billy Graham Library. And we were walking through uh, the Billy Graham Library, and I saw all the pictures from uh, the life and the ministry of Billy Graham and, uh, and his wife. And one of the rooms, I just, I just was struck by a passage that I read. I saw this, this passage on a, on a little, little poster, and I don't even remember the picture that was uh, above it. I'm not, a, I'm not a life verse guy. I know, like, some of you have life verses, and you're like, this is man of stake in my claim to this particular verse. I've never been a life verse guy, but I, I read this and I thought to myself, boy, if I, if, I, if I had kind of a life verse or something to cling to or hold on to, it might be this. It was Philemon 7. Philemon 7. I don't know about you, but I don't spend a ton of time in Philemon. 
Just a chapter, Philemon 7 says, Your love has, been, uh, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. I read that and I thought, man, like 30, 40, 50 years from now when I go home to be with Jesus, if there's a few people that gather in the church and say, God, man, the, I'm so grateful for James. His love has given us great joy and encouragement. He's refreshed the hearts of the saints. I thought, oh man, that would be cool. That's the, that's the word. The word does that. The word, word challenges us and it confronts us and it, and it comforts us and it changes us. And so at Christ's point, we want to teach the word of God in such a way that it enhances the believer's relationship with the, the triune God, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that each person will experience heart transformation and alignment with God. We, we want to be changed by uh, the Word of God. And we point people to Jesus by encountering, by coming face to face with the transforming power of the Word of God. God's Word is powerful. God's Word is powerful because these words are His words. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. God's Word is powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God, God's Word is powerful. Parents, how many times have you ever spent time with a kid before who's wanted to play with a toy or asked for a toy and you come back and you say, hold, hold on just one second, and you leave the room and you come back with a sword? You don't do that, right? Swords are dangerous. Right? Swords will, will, will cut you. The Word of, of, of God is powerful. It is, it is like a sword. Sword. It's not to be trifled with. We, we come to the living and active Word of God and we, we bring ourselves under the authority of the Word. Because God's Word is powerful. Psalm 33. By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Just think about that. By the, by the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God spoke. And it was, by the breath of his mouth, all their host, and he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. I love verse 9, for he spoke, and it came to be. In creation, God spoke. And it came to be. We see the power of the Word of God in creation. He speaks and it comes to be. We see the power of the Word of God in the Son of Man. 
Right? You look at the ministry of Christ, and when Jesus uh, speaks, uh, people listen. He says to the lame man, get up. Right? And it came to be. He says to, to the blind man, open your eyes. And it came to be. He speaks uh, to the dead man and says, arise. And it came to be. God speaks and creation uh, listens. Like We believe that the Word of God is, is powerful. It's, it's not... Uh, it's not a corpse that we dissect. It's something that's living and active. And so we submit ourselves uh, to the powerful Word of God because these words claim to be God's words. The prophets in the Old Testament, when they spoke, in the Old Testament oftentimes spoke and said, thus saith the Lord. Right? They're saying, this isn't from us. This is from God. The New Testament claims to be God's Word. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's Word is powerful. And so when we come face to face with the Word of God, God uses His Word to transform us, to change us, because there is power in His Word. And so I want to talk a little bit about what does that look like for us as a church? What does that look like as we seek to point people to Jesus at Christ's point? Well, just initially it means that on Sunday morning we want to to be a people who preach and teach faithfully uh, the Word of God uh, to those who come, to our attendees uh, in our small groups, in children's ministry, in our student ministry. We want to be a people of the book. Like We want to come to the Word. That's why we've been going through the Gospel of Mark for the last four and a half years. Because I'm slow and because we're, we're a people of the book. And so we want what we say. We want our words to be grounded in the Word of God. We want to think to ourselves, what does God say about this? What does He say about who He is? What does He say about the condition of my own heart? And so we open the Word and we go, this is, this is what God says. And this is what I do when I open the Word and I study the Word during the week. I think to myself, God, what are you, what are you saying to your people? What have you said to your people for all of human history? What are you saying to your people here and now? I want to give you the Word. Nobody cares about my opinion. You don't care about my opinion. I'm not that smart, right? I mean, you want to know what, is, what does the Word say? And so we want to be a people of this book, but not just... Not just here from 10.30 to 11. Like we want this to be true when our men gather together and study. That's why we're going through the book of Ephesians. That's why we, we come and, and go through the book of Judges at the 9 o'clock hour at the gathering. That's why our, our ladies get together and go, hey, let's, let's study 2 Timothy. Because we believe that these words are living and active and God uses them to change hearts and lives even today. And so as, as a church, we want to preach the Word in our, in our groups. We want to study the Word. We want our students and our children to know the Word. 
It's the reason that we're going through the Gospel Project for the next three years that goes through uh, the Bible and gives you a big picture view of the whole story. Like we, we want our, our children to be exposed to the Word because we want our children to be exposed to Jesus. We want them to see Jesus. And so we preach uh, the Word and we study uh, the Word. But we also want to be a people who encourage our people uh, to personally study uh, the Word of God so that each person may encounter the transforming power of the Word of God in their hearts and in their lives. Listen, some of the most significant uh, moments that you might have in your relationship with Jesus might be on a Tuesday morning. Right? It, it, might, it might be when you're on the road. It might be when you're in San Francisco or you're in Boston or you're, you're in New York and you've got stuff to do and you just wake up in the morning and you crack open the Word and God, God meets you. And so, so we want to be a people who not only gather on Sunday morning or gather in groups to open up the Word, we want to be a people who, who open up the Word of God. God's given to us His Spirit uh, to know and understand the Word. And so uh, we want to personally uh, study of the Word. Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 4, Jesus answers and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now think about that for a second. Jesus is saying, um, it may seem like you live on three squares a day. That's only going to get you so far. Right? If you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I, I want to make sure I, I, I eat lunch. I want to make sure I get a healthy breakfast. I want to make sure in the busyness of my day I don't miss out on dinner. But there isn't the sense where you're going like, God, man, I'm famished for your word. I'm famished for your word. God, I need, I need to hear from you. Right? So I, I come to the word, the living, active word, and God meets us. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And that's good news. When God's word goes out, like God's going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And so Christ's point, I pray that we would be a people of, of the book. I pray that we would be a people who, who come to the Word. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, my, my time in the Word, my, the spiritual discipline of, of reading the Word, maybe you think it's, it's non-existent or you're embarrassed about it or you think to yourself, man, I'm, I'm busy, it's so hard to get to, I would hate for other people to know what I don't do on a daily basis. I just want you to know, maybe this morning God's calling you just to take a step. Maybe he's not calling you to take a seminary class. Maybe he's not calling you to learn Greek or Hebrew. Maybe he's calling you just to open up, your word, open up his word and go, Man, I'm going to read a chapter. Right, today is what? What's the date today? The 23rd? 23rd. Right, Proverbs 23rd. Right, the 20, 20, 23rd Psalm. Right, you just open up the word and you go, Man, okay, it's the 23rd, it's the 24th. I'm going to read Proverbs 23 or 24. I'm going to read Psalm 23, 24. And, and that's just a, a step for you. You're going, just God, I, I, want, I want you to help me with this discipline of being in the Word. And so you're going, I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to crack open the book. Right? And you hear other people who are reading through the Bible in seven days, and you're like, I can't do that. I can't pull it off. Bless them. That's wonderful. But I'm just, if I can get to seven verses, like that's, man, just like, just rest in that. Like that's a, that's a step. And maybe you're someone who, you're like, you're, you are the most disciplined per- person on the planet. You can write books about discipline. You have, you, have, you have charts from the last 27 years and you read through the Bible each and every single year. You have all the check marks next to every scripture passage. Maybe it doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but you're like, I got through it. Like, I did it. Like, maybe for you, you're just like, like camp out in a book. Like, take the book of 1 John and, and just go, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hang out in these handful of chapters for the next 30 days. And you come to the book and you say, God, open my eyes. Help me to see what I naturally don't see. Right? Because you're going to be distracted and there's going to be a million things that you want to do. So that's just a step. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, James, that's a great idea, but I'm not going to do that. So admit that and then tell someone about it. And say, hey, you know what? Um, for the next, I did this in the summertime. I, a buddy of mine, we're like, you know, let's read through the New Testament, uh, June, July, and August. 90 days. Right? Three chapters a day. And we're like, we'll just text. And we'll go, hey, this is what I saw today. I was challenged by this. I don't understand this. I need to apply this. And you just do it. And then you have someone else who's sending you a text message and you're like, oh, it's been two days. Like, I need to get back into it. You just need some accountability. Like, I don't, I don't know what works best for you for where you are today, but whatever it looks like, make sure that it ends with you uh, in this book. And life's just crazy. Life's crazy. It's hard. It's difficult. And and if we're not clinging to something, we're going to just be tossed about by the wind. We need God to ground us, and He has uh, in His Word, His Word uh, that points uh, to His Son. As a church, we want to be a people who point others to Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. And one of the ways that we point uh, people to Jesus is that we encounter the transforming power of the Word of God. My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we would be uh, a people of the book. A vision without a plan is a dream. A plan without vision is drudgery. But a vision uh, with a plan can change the world. I pray that God uh, would change you uh, through his living and active and powerful word. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for uh, your word. Lord, thank you that you have spoken to us. That you're not a God who's distant or uncaring or unconcerned with the things that we face in life. Lord, your word speaks to us in seasons of joy. And your word ministers uh, to us in seasons of drought. So stir in our hearts an affection uh, for your word because your word uh, points to the word. Your word uh, points to Jesus. Help us to see him today. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.